Hello, Hooray for Monday listeners. My name is Michelle Welk, and I'm a marketing and communication specialist with Inspired Teaching. This week, I'm joined by Jenna Fornell, our Director of Teaching and Learning, to discuss the third and final installment of our live stream series, Conversations on Connection. Hello, Jenna. Hello, Michelle. Today, we're going to get to hear from Dana Mortensen, co-founder and CEO of World Savvy, an organization dedicated to cultivating global competence in students and creating connections across communities and cultures. You had a really awesome conversation with Dana. Um, there are many places where the mission and vision and values of Inspired Teaching and World Savvy overlap. So it was a really interesting perspective to hear many of the things Dana discussed because they are a lot of the same things that we are working on here at Inspired Teaching. Absolutely. And in some ways, help me think about things we've been talking about for years in a slightly different way. We had a conversation about youth as experts, which student expertise is one of our five core elements. We talked about belonging and what that looks like in the classroom. And we even had a really fascinating discussion about what we mean when we talk about connection and community and how just the way that we describe and define those words and the work that we do can actually set a really different tone for whether or not we're creating an engagement-based learning experience or a compliance-based learning experience. So let's jump in. I'm Jenna Fornell, and this is Hooray for Monday, your inspiration and toolkit for the week ahead. Learning is vulnerable. Hooray for Monday, September 11th, 2023. Welcome, Dana. World Savvy is an organization with a mission and goals that are very much aligned with those we have at Inspired Teaching. Your approach is based on the belief that students learn best when they are engaged in relevant and important issues that impact their communities and the world. So tell us what this looks like in the work that you do. Yeah, um, and thanks for having me, Jenna. It's, as you mentioned, a real honor, just given that um, the Center for Inspired Teaching is so well aligned philosophically with what we believe about classroom experiences. Um, so what that looks like for us is we we have comprehensive multi-year partnerships with schools and districts that help them reimagine what learning looks like with students at the center, um, driving learning and connecting that learning to things that are of real consequence to those students and to the communities that they inhabit and the world that they live in. Um, so that is a, a combination of direct support um, for students where we're using um, design thinking, something we call a knowledge to action model to embed in the learning process. So students are sort of drivers of um, inquiry and exploration and then have opportunities to prototype solutions, um, intensive uh, professional development and instructional coaching for educators, not just to produce curriculum and resources, but to um, rethink pedagogy and rethink how to operationalize some new practices in the classroom that will build more equitable, inclusive, and future-ready learning environments. And then more recently in the last five years, very intensive work with school leaders and superintendents to understand and think about how to connect vision to action and operationalizing that. We have a saying around, um, you know, big sweeping transformation in education is not about huge broad strategy, but about a thousand small moves that are all working in the same direction to produce really meaningful and durable results. So that's sort of the the how um, that we do that. 
Um, but at its core, it really, it's, it's philosophically around thinking about how we define connection. So I'd love to talk about that if you want me to sort of jump into that. Yeah, exactly. I would love to hear that because I think that um, we, we perhaps lose a lot in thinking that that means the same thing to everybody. <laughs> yeah. So um, in talking with our team yesterday, they're, they're sharing a metaphor they've been using in schools, which I find totally fascinating as a way of really interrogating what we think about when we say connection and what the purpose, what we're seeking when we're saying we're seeking connection. Um, they describe it as sort of if you're an educator in a classroom and you begin by thinking about, you think about your students as passengers on a train, right? They're all moving in the same direction. Um, they may or may not be interacting with one another. They're driven by a conductor that has set the direction um, and the destination. Um, so that's one way to think about teaching and learning. Um, if you thought instead about students as scuba divers, where there's a baseline level of training and understanding, things you need to understand about the equipment for safety, but that once they're unleashed in the water, the ability to pursue curiosity, go out independently and explore and bring information and learning back and share that with the group and build on individual experience for collective knowledge mm -hmm. um, is dramatically expanded. And so I think and as an educator, as anyone in a classroom or as a parent thinking about your child's learning, it's, it's interesting to sort of think about the mindset you bring um, to what it means to be, um, what, what the role of the student is and what real agency looks like. And then the other thing we think about a lot is um, to what end? So if you're seeking connection in the service of um, reducing disciplinary action, right? Or to um, push achievement or, you know, versus, um, you know, connection as compliance, versus connection as um, relationship that fosters deeper learning and inquiry and other things in the classroom. I think those are two things to sort of be personally honest about because they inform the smaller ways, the intangible ways that we show up when we're pursuing that and the way that we employ tools to make that happen in the classroom. So we think a lot about that in the in our educational approach, there are four pillars and the first is cultivating connections. So the most important work we do to springboard to this broad, how are we looking at global issues and how they impact community is starting with cultivating connection because that belonging and connectedness is the only thing that empowers young people and builds enough agency to address those bigger and broader things. Yeah, that's so, it's so interesting because as you were talking about that, it was making me realize that even the notion of community can be compliance based or can be based in the collective, um, I don't know, collective ability of a variety of distinct, unique individuals to be able to come together. Um, and I'm wondering a little bit about that when you talk about belonging, um, that's definitely also something that's coming up in a lot of the, the, the data and concern around um, around issues of school connectedness, around issues of students' well-being and mental health. And what does that look like either in like the work that you do with teachers or the work that you see the teachers doing with their students in the classroom? What are some ways that they're thinking about cultivating that sense of belonging? Yeah, um, 
That's a terrific question. We have we use a self-assessment that educators and schools actually employ that kind of help them identify whether it's emerging or intermediate or advanced. And but a, a different way to think about it is sort of um, to us, belonging and student voice um, are really go hand in hand, right? So this idea of um, what does it look like at your school or in your classroom, right? Do you talk a lot about it? But then how might you see it um, when you're walking around, right? How do you engage students in creating classroom culture? How do they have a voice in even the questions that you're asking, right? What are what what in the formative act of thinking about what learning looks like are are the students actually involved in even decision-making roles and other things that kind of are happening in the classroom. And then the other piece of it is, and or opportunities for students to give feedback and reflect on their own learning that actually has a loop back to an educator. So when you're talking about belonging, that's the essence, right? I'm I'm seen, um, I'm valued. It matters what my experience is in a way that gets um, ref reflected back in real time and contributes to adapting, right? which is also a gift as an educator, right? You want to help students grow from where they are, right? If you go back to the train metaphor, everybody moving at the sp same speed, stopping at the same stops, going to the same destination is not a great metaphor for how the messy process and the nonlinear nature of learning actually happens, right? In a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for that belonging is key. The other thing in the data, I mean, we were talking earlier about this belonging barometer that was introduced by the Center for Inclusion, um, belonging and diversity go hand in hand, right? So people who um, report a higher level of belonging experience more diversity in their friendships, in their relationship. So at World Savvy, you know, and this is deeply embedded and and um, supported by all the evidence around culturally responsive learning. But as an educator, part of that in the classroom looks like how do you not only um, get very curious about who your students are and what they bring to the classroom through their own lived experience, um, but how is that valued in what you, you know, sort of how you create learning environments? So um, we have sometimes sort of very um, bound definitions of knowledge, but if we were to expand that to understand that lived and create actual intentional structures to build on that, right? You're starting a project at the beginning of the year Sure, you might have a textbook, you've got articles, you've got Google research, your, your students, you can you can guide them through. But what do their families know? What do the cultural traditions and histories that they bring? What do what do they know from community in community that can inform an understanding of an issue that might seem abstract? Um, so I think those are things we work with educators to do as a almost like flexing a muscle, right? As you're so that you're building. Um, and this works in the service of building content knowledge, but at the same time, you're creating environments where who you are matters mm -hmm. and what you know is knowledge. It's valued as knowledge. Um, so I think that's pretty key. Well, and that um, that's such, a, such an important point and something we spend a lot of time talking to teachers about devoting time to in the very beginning of the school year. Like, if you spent two weeks doing nothing but getting to know your students and have them get to know one another and get to know you, you would serve yourself so well for the rest of the school year when you do that. But what's interesting about what you were just sharing is that it also positions the students as experts. And I know that youth as experts is 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 kind of is also maybe it's not specifically one of the pillars, but is um, in embedded in everything. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little yeah. bit about what that looks like. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's at the core. And I know we share that philosophically of youth as experts of not just their own life experience that has um, sort of a real impact on how we understand the world, but also they are, you know, particularly in the last decade, living through some really acute, intense times in the world. Um, I did not grow up in in a global pandemic. I wasn't, you know, as my kids were in the third grade watching an insurrection, right? And watching degrees of polarization that are really like testing the limits of democracy in these very, very pronounced, upfront, um, visceral ways. And so I think um, we talk a lot about literally experts. Um, when we think about global issues, we're used to piping in experts from the UN or people who have a lot of letters and degrees at the end of their name. Um, but the truth is, is that, you know, even a community or a group of young people who live in a rural community in the United States who might not know what the sustainable development goals are, for example, there is collective knowledge in that community. There are people um, taking action, learning. There are agents of change in that context. And sometimes that big E expert framing diminishes agency and creates conditions where people um, count themselves out um, as, as solution seekers and problem solvers that have any value. Um, and that's not that isn't placing the blame on them. This is structural and institutional, right? It's how we set up what we deem expertise and knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, we approach this and we try and build schools where youth see themselves as experts. Um, they see themselves as agents of change from sort of the get so that they continue to be curious and leaning in to learning more and building on knowledge um, in, in ways that, you know, promote deeper learning and, and relationship. Yeah, well, and, I, and I'm thinking about that so much in terms of what's happening as we head back to school and thinking about the teachers in my life who are talking about the professional development they've been in over the last um, several weeks and the messages that they're getting from leadership. Everybody's sort of beating this drum of what we need to do to create more school connection, but I'm wondering how many students have been in the room on that because a lot of times I think as adults we come up with solutions to problems um, in schools and we leave students out of the conversation yeah. entirely and I'm wondering yeah. if you have any examples um, just so so people can kind of hear concretely what the work of world savvy looks like in practice when students are actually at the center of thinking about solutions so you have some beautiful yeah examples of, of the projects that have been underway, but sort of seeing what that looks like when students are able to bring their own agency, their own experience and their own perspectives to, to grappling with real things that are going yeah. on. Yeah, I have, there's an example I love and I use it a lot because I also think it's sort of an inside out example. I think we tokenize sometimes like taking action and civic action and engagement in community. And then we don't um, deeply internalize what competencies that requires in how we do school. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so when we worked with a school in New York that um, that essentially was using our knowledge to action framework for students to look at and tackle a problem in community that they identified something of consequence. And in that this is around the time the census was happening. So the students were deeply engaged in trying to understand, like, why is the census census important? What does it tell us if the if the data isn't accurate? How does that imp impact? Right. How resources are allocated? So they partnered with a few um, local agencies that were working on that issue to learn about it and then try to be of service to sort of get the word out and increase engagement in the census. They went through this. It's our knowledge to action experience. And then 
came by our background and we worked with the school and said, okay, this is great. It's teaching a really important skill about how to take action in community and how to, you know, be of service in a way that places the most proximate individuals at the center of solution seeking, all these really important things. But it wasn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that was happening in school. And so at the same time, the school was grappling with how to create a master schedule that you know, promoted 21st century learning. So they brought in an expensive consultant and that consultant led the teachers through planning sessions. And we said, well, what would it look like to actually do a knowledge to action experience, which is like a design challenge and have students lead a conversation around how a master schedule might get designed. The people experiencing that master schedule as learners, right, were like never in the room for any of this. And so they went through that process and what they learned from it informed the master schedule and the assistant superintendent said, you know, wow, I just spent a lot of money on an external consultant and this could have really shortcut a lot of the resources we had to spend. But the other thing that that did in terms of that inside outside example is you're saying you value wanting to create change makers and, and problem solvers and civically active globally engaged students flexing those muscles and building those competencies, it's not coincidental, right? It's intentional and it needs to be sort of in the drinking water and in the structures of how you do school and how you set up culture. And that's sort of, that's kind of what we work schools to. So it doesn't have to be about a global issue when you're flexing this muscle on a competency like comfort with ambiguity and change or communicating across difference, right? It can be small, pedestrian, seemingly inconsequential so that you can scaffold that. So yes, a student can go out and tackle some of the bigger thornier issues that we know are at our doorstep wherever we live. Yeah. And that's making me think about this, um, th this connection, the fact that so, so often when I talk to my son who's in high school, the things that he shares with me that are happening in his high school feel like they're happening in like a microcosm um, I don't know. I'm looking at a snow globe of the world <laughs> outside and it's happening and, and these things are happening there and schools are places where we practice learning how to be members of a democracy. They yeah. can be, but I think some of the things that you were bringing up earlier about what do we really mean when we talk about connection? What do we really mean when we talk about community and are we actually creating connections and community in the way that we would like to see happen in the world beyond school? Um, yeah. And I'm thinking about how it seems like the work that you do creates really fertile ground for having those conversations. Yeah, and figuring out ways to make sure that they're consistent through. So for example, if you're in your classroom and you're trying to, you're using assessments and, and rubrics and frameworks that help students navigate conflict in a healthy way, let's say, but there's no similarly situated framework that helps educators do that one-to-one -one or school mm -hmm. administration or the capacity to do that and interact with conversation with caregivers or maybe the school board is wild and, and, and you know in, 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 in absolutely in, entrenched in conflict um that alignment matters right like that's that's the the hard stuff around um because those are messages students can pick up on and they can say this is disconnected from reality right i'm being asked to do something that actually isn't mirrored or valued by others in the community and so i think those things i think school on the flip side of that, that sounds pessimistic, is like one of the last vestiges in the modern world where students have these years, if set up appropriately and scaffold, scaffolded it towards this end to do this well, right? To disagree with someone and still have lunch together and understand that um, understanding isn't agreement and that a solution, a durable solution requires 
differences of opinion, right? Um, and finding ways to bring them in. And I think the the K-12 is an amazing place to cultivate that um, when it's done well. Do you feel like in your observation, you've been doing this work for some time, do you feel like some of these things that are coming up about school connectedness, these issues in schools have to do with the fact that we aren't practicing that, that, that students aren't having practice with living in a space of disagreement? I just, I think so much about how they're living in this siloed world with their experiences with social media that show them sort of a very narrow way of thinking. And I, and I don't know that we're counteracting that in the way that we have discussions and what we do in school. And I'm, I'm wondering if you, if you see that, you know, I guess sort of my question comes from, why is this a problem right now? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like yeah. these things aren't, um, they don't spring organically from some place just because you're a quote, good person, however you define that, right? Um, navigating conflict and um, integrating empathy into understanding, try, like those things require practice. They require practice and they require setup and intentionality, right? They don't, they don't just happen um, because of proximity. Proximity to difference helps, but without the tools to navigate that, it could go a different way, right? And certainly to your point, I mean, you don't need to look far to know that right now, interaction in an online space rewards judgment and it rewards the binary, right? Um, a smackdown or a great burn on TikTok, TikTok, I call it, my kids will kill me, TikTok will get much more, right? Many more eyeballs, right? It'll, mm -hmm. it'll get spread faster. It'll, so those things, um, you know, that's not happening with the hour long process of slogging through disagreement. So I think your point is a hundred percent, like practicing this and valuing it, you know, if you consider this extra or ancillary to deep learning or quality learning, it won't be prioritized and embedded and integrated. This isn't an elective. It's not something you should be doing in advisory, right? It's not an after-school club and it's not a separate program for a portion of students. It's a way of thinking about teaching and learning that doesn't just get you to a place where you're advancing understanding about content, but you're actually building the skills and dispositions and competencies to navigate the world. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's, I think that's what places of learning should be. You talk about making it, you know, school, a place where everyone loves to go. Right. And for us, right. I mean, what we know right now is that school for most kids is something they get through, yeah. you know, and yeah. that, 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 that the world, the world requires and demands something different if we're going to navigate what's ahead. Absolutely. Well, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm very inspired by the ways in which you're making that happen through your work. Um, as folks are beginning school, have already begun school and are heading into the next couple of weeks, is there, can you think of sort of one thing that you think that like every teacher might be able to do to spark a conversation or to, to create a, a beginning mind, mind shift I'm thinking about what you said about how this starts with small steps. And is there one thing that you've seen that can be particularly effective right off the bat? Yeah. So we have a set of global competence cards that we use. I mean, they're called that because they're aligned with our matrix, but they're really interesting prompts um, mm -hmm. that help off the bat get outside of um, potentially more one-dimensional and sort of surface level understanding like 
questions and questions that can complexify and challenge uh, um, creating equitable learning environments. Like what did you do this summer? Has, you know, mm -hmm, has mm -hmm. that, that can be hard. Um, one of the things yes. about belonging is folks from different socioeconomic status is a big indicator of whether you feel belonging. And so that's like, that's a hard thing to start with, right? In, in a classroom where you've got students from lots of backgrounds. Um, but some of them are questions like, you know, describe something that you have to keep relearning again and again, or describe the last time that, you know, you tried something multiple times and you finally got it. What did that look like? Or questions that, and I can share some of them as a follow-up that mm -hmm. get students, um, you know, into, into a, a space where they're, they're safe questions to answer, but they're telling you something a little bit deeper about how a young person thinks, or maybe what their lived experiences or the things that matter to them in a way that, um, can create a culture, learning is incredibly vulnerable, right? It's a, it's when done well, it's a dramatically vulnerable experience. And I think using the first month of school to establish that like, we're going to be vulnerable and learn together. And as an educator, being willing to answer those things as well, right alongside and, and open up those, those opportunities is, is really important. Yeah. That's such a, a, beautiful way to phrase it. I don't think I really thought of that before, but it's true that learning is vulnerable. If if we push our, if, if we accept the idea that learning takes place in our zone of proximal development, that it's not always going to be in the space of comfort. And um, it's making me think about a point that you raised about respect and, and, yeah. and I'm willing to take I'm willing to take those steps and be vulnerable and do that learning if I feel like I'm in a space where I am respected. But even yeah. that goes back to what you were saying earlier about how sometimes creating community and connection can also be an act of compliance. And I'm wondering what respect looks like in the scuba diving example versus the train example. Right. Um, that's interesting because I'd have to be a little bit more expert in scuba diving. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I can but I can tell you what, like I can tell you how we think about it or how I certainly have thought a lot about this. Respect in the context of K-12 is often really about um, uh, uh, power structures, right? Respect is about compliance. I'm the adult. Um, the way that you show me respect is that you follow the rules that I established, whether or not those rules you were a part of forming, whether or not they have any connection or meaning to your lives, whether or not they were created with you in mind, mm -hmm. um, with your identity and, and your experience in mind. That's a very different thing than sort of seeing it through uh, the lens of humanity and take it out of the sort of student teacher dynamic and just think about, right, I'm the CEO of an organization. If I enter every interaction um, assuming and requiring respect because of that title or or power, you know, the positional power, it's a it's a very different way of defining and understanding it versus um, you know, two human beings that respect is about being seen. Uh, being understood and having, regardless of whether there's agreement or sameness, um, a value mm -hmm. um, of, you know, a, a placing value on that. And so, again, I think like as an educator and K-12 has not done, you know, historically and systematically and systemically has not done, hasn't, haven't, hasn't set up the conditions to do a lot of what you and I are talking about right now, right? It's particularly binary. It's the answer is right. The answer is wrong, right? These are the rules, follow them, get through when you can get to this. And so I think it's a real, it's brave and important and inspiring work for educators to think about like, well, how would I redefine what that looks like? What does it really mean to me? Um, 
you know, what do I need to feel respected and what, how might that translate and, and be true for a young person beyond a compliance um, standard. Um, so I think it's worth interrogating too. It's another, it's another thing to think about and complexify. Yeah. And also um, interesting to hear what students have to say about what that means too to them. When yeah. do they feel respected, right? What does respect mean to them? And yeah, um, you never know unless you ask the question, right? Yeah. Well, and and it sounds, and I, I love this notion that questions are so at the core of what you do. And um, when you were talking about the idea of, it's really a shift from thinking in terms of judgment to thinking in terms of curiosity and how do we bring that curiosity to everything we're doing. And I think that's schools have an incredibly unique opportunity to be sort of the last bastion of teaching people how to hold that, to hold complexity and ambiguity and to lean into understanding how to design better questions um, than arrive at more right answers. Which we have to do right now. I mean, I yeah. see it across a lot of the the things that that World Savvy is doing, this point that keeps being brought up. We can't, we, we no longer live in a world of great certainty that says you go out of school and this is the job you get and this is what that looks like and this is how it is. But actually, you know, most of the jobs that our young people are going to go into are things we can't even imagine right now. So if yeah. we don't build these skills of, of curiosity and inquiry and imagination, if we don't have that at the yeah. core of what we're teaching, we're, we're kind of, we're not kind of, we're absolutely doing them an injustice. Yeah, and we talk, I just had a discussion about this recently um, with a workforce development panel, right, that wanted to sort of, and I, I stress this idea of we're living in a world we can't predict, mm -hmm. not with any real degree of certainty, and that's a wildly uncomfortable notion, right? It is to me too. I mean, it's uncomfortable in general. We're not really wired to, to thrive in that. But so rather than thinking about it as predicting, just thinking about it as preparing, you know, what are the, the core competencies and the things that will allow you to navigate that kind of change, dramatic, dramatic change, dramatic diversity, a pace of change, um, complexity, all these, you know, folks use this, the framing of VUCA world, right? Volatile, uncertain, ambiguous, mm -hmm. um, complex, the, you know, that there, if it's unpredictable, then what does preparation look like that helps you be sure you're ready for anything yeah. to the greatest degree possible? And that, the answer to that question really shifts learning a lot, right? That's not what we're doing by and large in K-12 environments. It's so true. And I actually really love the notion as you were talking about preparation, it was just making me think about the idea that preparation can also be such a collaborative activity that it's something we come together working in community with one another on. So uh, there's probably some really beautiful connection between that and connection and school connectedness when we're doing that. A hundred percent. And there's a lot of evidence and research to suggest that's true, right? Better solutions, more durable solutions come from um, diverse perspectives that have come together to contribute to, to something, something meaningful, um, you know. Solutions designed in a vacuum with without a lot of diverse input um, don't tend to sustain any real impact. Well, I, this you've given us so much to think about. Um, I'm really, really uh, honored that you joined us today to share these insights and excited to be able to share the work of World Savvy um, with others. Uh, we will include links to any of the, the things that uh, Dana was mentioning in the comments section. Um, but Dana, are there any other things uh, at the end that you'd like to make sure that folks know about? 
No, just that um, it's been an honor to be with you. I'm so grateful. I'm really appreciative of the work that the Center for Inspired Teaching is doing as well. It's so aligned. Um, and if folks are listening and have questions about how schools and districts and educators get involved with our work, certainly reach out. We're just worldshavy.org. Professional development. Join us for our September Inspired Teaching Institutes, which will focus on warming up with improvisation. In this institute, we will explore engaging ways to begin each class period with activities that are rooted in our rules of improv, understand the connection between relationship building and motivation to learn, and learn simple ways to make warm-up activities content-rich. All of our institutes are free and are designed to be applicable across the pre-K-12 school experience. Participants who attend the live sessions will receive certificates of completion. Recordings and resources will be emailed to all registrants, but we highly recommend joining us live so you can experience the activities firsthand, ask questions, and engage with other educators. Sessions are online and scheduled for Wednesday, September 6th and Tuesday, September 19th from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Registration links are in the written version of Hooray for Monday and the show notes for this episode. Youth Programming. Applications are now open for the 23-24 Real World History course, the only credit-bearing course available to all public, charter, and independent school students in Washington, D.C. Real World History teaches history through inquiry, equipping students with crucial skills that prepare them to thrive in our complex world. Real World History students complete an oral history project on the Great Migration during the fall semester and have the opportunity to intern at one of Washington, D.C.'s many amazing cultural institutions in the spring. For more information and to access the application, check out the link in our show notes. Hooray for Monday is an award-winning weekly publication of Center for Inspired Teaching, an independent nonprofit organization that invests in and supports teachers. Inspired Teaching provides transformative, improvisation-based professional learning for teachers that is 100% engaging intellectually, emotionally, and physically. Our mission is to create radical change in the school experience away from compliance and toward authentic engagement. Thanks for listening.